0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Four Foundations of Flowering Faith, a subset of my weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Today's session is the completion of the fourth part of the Four Foundations. It's called Sharing Jesus, What Works and What Doesn't. I am concluding this part with the story of a less than completely successful evangelical meeting that Paul had in Athens, Greece, recorded in Acts 17. Paul's second missionary journey probably occurred between about 49 and 52 AD, and he was in the middle of that second missionary journey when he made his way to Athens and we are now in Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So this was typical for him when he would come to a new city where the gospel had not been shared He would go to the synagogue on Saturday and meet with the Jews to tell them that Messiah had come. And then depending on their response, he would baptize them and disciple them or move on and share with the Gentiles. Typically, he was mostly sharing with Gentiles. And so we see that he has also gone to the outdoor markets to share with strangers. So now we're in verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate him. Maybe you've heard of these two ancient philosophies, but the Epicureans said that the purpose of life, a person's life goal, ought to be pleasure. And they thought that the greatest pleasure was freedom from pain and fear. The Stoics, on the other hand, had as their life goal being logical and fighting for justice or fairness. Kind of reminds me of Spock from Star Trek. They said that the ultimate happiness would be freedom from the desire for pleasure or the fear of pain. And of course, we use that word stoic in everyday talk, even now, to mean someone that isn't emotional. At any rate, both of those veins of philosophy had followers that were now interested in Paul's teaching and wanted to talk with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Oropagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meaning of the Oropagus. The Oropagus actually was a rock outcropping and it functioned as a court. It's still a very famous ruins site that people visit in Athens today, and it's right across the way from the Acropolis, which is another rocky outcropping that has several buildings of great archeological significance, including the Parthenon and another temple, I believe, to Athena, the goddess Athena, If you go to the Oropagus today, there's actually an engraved plaque that contains Paul's sermon. But here we are in the 22nd verse of Acts uh, chapter 17, and he has stood up on this rock, and he's getting ready to preach. And remember, the purpose of this lesson is to look at a sharing Jesus technique that is not very effective. So here he goes... People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. In other words, he's found an angle as he's looking around. He sees this altar to an unknown God and he thinks, I think I could capitalize on that. I will tell them that their unknown God is the creator of the universe. So it sounds ingenious. He goes on in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far, from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's verse 28, and that part is in quotes because he is quoting from one of their poets. And then he goes on in verse 28, as some of your own poets have said, quote, we are his offspring. So two sentences there that sound like regular scripture, and he is tying in what he knows of Greek literature, hoping to appeal to them. So again, the first thing that he said when he was quoting from their poets was, for in him we live and move and have our being. Well, it turns out that there was a Cretan philosopher, he was a philosopher-poet, part real, part myth, who probably lived, if he did actually exist, between about 600 and 800 BC by the name of Epimenides. And some of his poems still exist. And there is a poem, fragment by Epimenides, that contains this statement, for in you we live and move and have our being. Well, Paul was so well-educated that he was aware of all this. But here is that poem fragment. It was written as though the King Minos, who was in Greek mythology and whose father had been the Greek god Zeus, were addressing his father Zeus. So this is the mythological king of Crete, King Minos, addressing his father Zeus. And this is what he's saying. They fashioned a tomb for you, holy and high one, Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies, but you are not dead. You live and abide forever, for in you we live and move and have our being. So that statement was made to the Greek god Zeus, supposedly, by his son, the mythical king of Crete. But Paul knew about it, and he knew that that the educated people that were listening to him would know about it, and he wove it into a sermon. Now remember that the second statement in verse 28 is, we are his offspring. Well, there was another philosopher, a Cilician Stoic philosopher by the name of Eretus, who probably lived somewhere about 300 years before Christ, And he was the one who said this, for we are indeed his offspring. It comes from a poem called Phenomena, and this is a fragment of that poem. It says, Let us begin with God, whom we mortals never leave unspoken. For every street, every marketplace is full of God. Even the sea and the harbor are full of this deity. Everywhere everyone is indebted to God for we are indeed his offspring." So once again, the very well-educated cosmopolitan Paul knows about this famous poet and is familiar enough with the writings that he can quote them. And he thinks this would be a good technique for bringing into a sermon about Jesus Christ, who came to the world to die and was resurrected and covers the sins of everyone who will call on his name. So we move on in verse 29 of Acts 17. This is Paul still preaching. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. All right, so now we're at verse 32, and we're going to get some reaction from the people in the audience. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. In other words, they're putting him off. We'll talk to you more about this later. Verse 33, at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Europagus, also a woman named Damaris, and number of others. In other words, there was certainly a lackluster response to his sermon. He preached Christ, but he was reasoning with them. Right after he went to Athens on this second missionary trip, he went to the city of Corinth, which wasn't very far away. And he was so successful in Corinth that he actually established a church. Later, when he wrote a letter to that church, he reminisced about how they came to Christ. And we can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It's very interesting what he has to say. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God? For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on god's power that sounds to me like paul learned a lesson from the not very successful evangelical campaign in athens right before he came to corinth and he began to understand that you cannot reason somebody into the kingdom of god nor can you argue somebody into the kingdom of god so here are these stoics and these epicureans who are pursuing either logic and justice or pleasure, and who would love to debate you about anything. And they're just walking around restless. Maybe they don't have to work very hard because they're the upper echelon and they've got money. And this is something new and stimulating. Wow, tell us about your religion, and we'll try to poke holes in it. And then when you start telling us about this fellow Jesus who rose from the dead— We're going to think you're pretty crazy, and then we're going to wave our hand and walk off. And so when he went to Corinth, he decided to let go of the fancy quoting from Greek philosophers of the past and the looking so educated and trying to tie the God of the universe into their culture and just simply, in the power of the Spirit, very basically preach that God sent His Son to die for your sins. Call on His name. And it worked. The Corinthian church was established. You know, he alludes to this again in his second letter to the Corinthians, the very first chapter, the 12th verse. Paul says, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Did you catch the last phrase of that last sentence? Relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. That's the key. What doesn't work is getting the idea that if you just come up with exactly the right way to say it, you can somehow manipulate this person into the kingdom of God. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's wonderful when we look to the Scripture for things that do work as we share Christ, but it's also important to look for things that are not as successful. Now, it wasn't as though not a single person came to Christ in Athens. Some of them did. But we can see that Paul preached an intellectual gospel using logic and reason, and only a handful came to him, came to Jesus. Then Paul preached the simple gospel, and the Corinthian church was established. So the take-home message here is that people are drawn by the Spirit, not by persuasive words. That takes a lot of pressure off of us. All we have to do is share a simple, childlike faith and the basics of the gospel, and then we can expect that the Holy Spirit will work in the hearts of those that are already destined to come to him. Bottom line, sharing the simple gospel is often more effective than intellectual reasoning. Will you share the gospel today? If this has been a blessing to you, please pass it along.